If there was a missing piece of information that is costing you money now or could cost you money in the future, when would you want to find out about it? Ideally, you would want to learn about it right now. It's best to learn these critical facts before you make any financial decisions because not knowing could have profound effects on your financial future. One of the best ways to make money is to avoid losing it in the first place. So we focus on all the missing facts to keep your money from falling through the cracks and we engineer tax strategies to reduce burdens on your income. Welcome to the Roadmap to Retirement podcast with Ken New from Pinnacle Financial Wealth Management. As a fiduciary advisor, Ken focuses on creating individualized holistic plans rather than cookie cutter portfolios. Listen in as Ken and his guest experts explore key retirement and tax strategies that every pre-retiree should consider to reach their pinnacle. Now, onto the show. As a homeowner, you always seem to be facing some issue. And in Florida, homeowners insurance has become quite a topic of concern. The cost and availability of coverage can have some retirees nervous and frustrated. Frank Hanrahan is Ken News guest today. Frank has several decades of experience in the insurance field, specifically in the Sunshine State. And Ken, what do they say about the joys of home ownership? Well, you know, here in the state of Florida, we're faced with a lot of challenges. Uh, Homer's insurance policies in recent years, it can be real difficult for residents to obtain affordable and comprehensive coverage. So some of the key problems include really rising premiums, of course, limited coverage, claims disputes, and fraud. These challenges require ongoing attention from the policymakers, the insurers, and stakeholders to ensure that the Florida residents are adequately covered in the event of a natural disaster or any kind of loss. So when working with retirees, I hear their frustrations often. A retirees on fixed income, typically, they feel frustrated, they're anxious, and financially, it's burdensome if their homeowner's insurance policy were to increase. And sometimes they increase drastically, or if they're dropped altogether. So this is because many of the retirees are on a fixed income and they have limited financial resources. So they're going to have a difficult time affording increases. If their homeowner's insurance premium were to increase significantly, it would mean having to cut back on other essential things. Well, things like food and, and medical bills. But if they're dropped from the coverage altogether, they can actually struggle to find another provider that's willing to offer them affordable coverage. So some of our clients have considered canceling the homeowner's insurance altogether and self-insuring. Now, of course, that's cross your fingers and hope kind of thing. So retirees may have invested a significant amount of time and money in their homes and losing the coverage could mean losing a valuable asset. They may also have concerns about being able to recover financially in the event of a loss, such as a hurricane, a fire, or flood, or really any kind of loss. And these problems are not limited to retirees, homeowners of all ages. Also, our local businesses feel the major effects here because you all want to be covered in case of an emergency or a natural disaster. So here to talk to us from Risk Strategies, Homeowners Insurance Specialist, Frank Hanrahan. 
Welcome to the show, Frank. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. So before we get started, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your 30 years in the industry? So I actually started in 1984 in Pennsylvania working for a family business, then came to Florida in 1991 just to do homeowners insurance. At that time, homeowners insurance was pretty easy. You could do actually you could do a three year policy. It was simple. I mean, we just wanted to do new homes. Unfortunately, 91 was fine. Then 1992 came and we had Hurricane Andrew. And that's when the market started get started with a shakeup. Many carriers that were writing policies decided that they didn't want to do it anymore. Some new ones actually came into the marketplace, so it wasn't quite as bad, probably about 2005, after the four hurricanes came across the state. Mm-hmm. And then the marketplace went in turmoil again. Eventually, that got resolved, and here we are now, back in turmoil. And uh, this is about as bad as I think it's been in a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hear you. Um, it, it's uh, I hear about it all the time. So can you maybe touch on some of the big challenges that we have for Florida residents here? Uh, Bill, what are the challenges of getting these policies more affordable and, and, and actually having comprehensive policies? I think part of it is we don't we don't have the competition everywhere else other states have. Most states, especially if you went up north or in the Midwest, you know, you might have 20, 30 carriers that are out there and they're fighting for your business. Florida, we don't have those national carriers anymore. We don't have the state farms, the all states, the Hartfords, the travelers, because they don't want to play in this marketplace. They don't like the catastrophic exposure and they don't like the laws that the legislation have put in place. So what we've ended up with is a bunch of domestic carriers, and they're not they're they're fine, but you know we need we need competition. We need carriers that make money and they compete for your business and offer broader coverages. Florida is notoriously bad for lack of coverage. The other I think big problem in Florida is with the legislation and the laws that are, have been in place now are soon to change. It's exploited the system dramatically. I remember probably 15 years ago, there was a sinkhole crisis. All you know, from Orlando all the way to the West Coast, you couldn't get insurance because of the way they were exploiting the system. If you had a sinkhole that was, let's just say, 150 feet under your house, that never really affected your house, you could still file a claim and get paid. And attorneys were advertised in their big signs, and people couldn't get insurance. Eventually, they changed the law, and now nobody even thinks about it. So some of these problems are legislative. The other one, people have this, people just believe that insurance companies are making all this money, and you know they're they're taking advantage of the consumer. I mean, it just for me on this side of it, it's a little hard to believe when you see six or seven of them go out of business in a year. The problem is, is you can't. You can't rely on your insurance company to put a new roof on every 10 years and pay them and then think that they're making money. So it, it, ha- it has to be a balance an act, and it it needs some thought. And I think that um, there's going to be some changes coming up that will help some other people. The one thing I did want to mention now before we go too far in, and this is always – and I thought about this a little differently the other day. 
you know, the insurance companies have really pushed this roof issue where you need to have a new roof and it has to be under 15 years old now to qualify. And part of it is, you know, people get, well, my roof doesn't leak. It's fine. I thought about it the other day. I was changing a battery in one of the cars. And the problem is if your battery dies, you know, you may be able to just fix it where it is or you have to get it towed and it costs you a little bit more. But you don't really know what's happening or you don't change it until actually it breaks. The problem with the roof is if it fails and the statistics will say after 10 years, the fail rate is much greater, especially during a storm, because what happens is those shingles have an emulsion, sort of like keeps it liquidized, keeps it flexible. After a number of years in the sun, that emulsion all dries out and those roofs become brittle. And when those 100-mile-an-hour winds come, those shingles just break apart and fall off. And now you have leakage. And then that leakage is what really causes the damage. And so one of the problems is, you know, hey, after after 10 years, those roofs become less effective or less sustainable in a storm. But the other problem is the roofers and the attorneys they drive around and they target any roof over 13 years. They'll go on your door and knock, say, hey, we can get your roof. If they don't pay you, don't worry, we'll sue. So that's been some of the challenges, I think, for the consumer is they've been pushed. They're getting squeezed on both ends. You know, Not only are the storms causing the rates to go up, but the exploitation of the system has been tough. Yeah. Do you see any changes on the horizon there? It sounds like they're actually selling the idea mm -hmm. that you can use your insurance whether you need to or not. Yeah, I do. Um, so this is a little, I'll explain this and it, it might shock you. Up to about a year ago, there was, there was a, it was called one-way litigation. So let's say I go out and I knock on your door and I say, Ken, your roof's 13 years old. There had to be a storm that went through here. I look up a date for a storm. I tell you to call your company and say, hey, your storm damaged that roof, and you file a claim. The insurance company says, Ken, your roof, that's just normal wear and tear. You know, We're not going to pay that because we don't pay wear and tear. We only pay for storms and fires and lightnings and that kind of perils. So the roofer says, don't worry about it. I have an attorney that will handle it for you. And the way the law worked, it was one-way litigation. So if you sued your insurance company and the settlement was off by $1, that insurance company had to pay the attorney's bill separate from the claim. And not only did they have to pay the, the attorney, the attorney could opt for an option called a multiplier. He could go to the judge and say, this was a specialty type of case. He was only doing it to help the consumer, and he could get up to two and a half times the going rate. So the attorneys loved these lawsuits. They were getting rich off of them. So the insurance companies figured it out and said, hey, we're just going to pay the claims because it's cheaper than paying the attorneys. And so that created a problem, and that, and that cost the consumers. The consumers are paying that cost. That is an amazing story. I had no idea something like that would exist. Yeah, most people don't, and they don't realize it. Now, the law changed, so this is where we may get some reprieve. Now, it's going to take a little time. The law change coming up, um, I think it passed in December of this year, was that there is no more one-way litigation. So when attorney sues the insurance company on behalf of the client, 
they have to either the client pays them out of pocket or they pay out of that settlement of uh, the claim. So there won't be as much money in it for the attorneys. So hopefully that will back off some of these lawsuits. They were saying at one point, I want to say 70% of all dollars were going to the plaintiff's attorney and the rest was the client and the insurance company's costs. Hmm. Astronomical, but, stunning number. Yeah, it is. It really is. Sounds like it's a benefit to the legal industry. So you talked about uh, the roofs and a lot about roofs. And of course, roofs are an important part of homeowners insurance here in Florida. What other items? I mean, we've got a lot of older homes here as well. So it, you know, and then this, uh, this idea of flood insurance. Now I understand that there may be a, a law out there that requires flood insurance in areas that previously weren't required. Yeah. Citizens, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with citizens. Citizens is a state backed company and it was designed years ago, right after Andrew actually to be a market of last resort. So if you were on the beach and you were in a high wind area or, you know, there was carriers that weren't operating in your area that you could buy insurance. Citizens has put in a number of provisions to try to discourage you to go to them. One was they would offer more limited coverage than you could get from the private market just to keep you like, if you had a screen enclosure, you couldn't insure it. That was one of their big things. Mm -hmm. Now they're saying they want you to have, especially if you're in a flood zone, you have to have flood insurance. And there's a timeline on it for, you know, depending on the type of flood zone you're in and where you're located and the value of the home. However, they're going to push you to buy flood insurance. And the idea is what they're trying, what they're trying to do is they're saying, hey, many times, especially when you went to, what was the one hurricane in Louisiana? Do you remember that hurricane that hit Louisiana uh, and the people? Katrina. Katrina. Mm -hmm. So what they what they were trying to do then was say, it, what, even though your house got flooded, they were trying to push it onto the wind policy because they didn't have coverage. Mm -hmm. So they're always trying to find some pocket. So they're saying, hey, we don't want to end up eating claims that aren't ours because you didn't buy what you should have bought. And so now they're going to force you into that and try to push you to a private marketplace. By Now it's more expensive, but you have to have two policies instead of one. I do want to mention flood insurance because that's a big topic right now. And I've read two or three articles just in the last couple of days how they're talking about flood insurance rates going up. Up to last, about two years ago, the flood rates were pretty much stable. So you could be in Pennsylvania, you could be in Florida, and if you had no basement, you paid the same rate, regardless of your distance to the water. FEMA, in their wisdom, has decided that they're going to change the rating system in how we rate flood policies. And now one of the factors is your distance to water. So what happens here in Florida, you might have had a really cheap rate, and then all of a sudden, you go to try that new rating system, and that new rating system is considerably higher. Now, if you had flood insurance, you're grandfathered into the old one, and you stay that way. If you just are buying a house and it's a new house, you'd come into the new system. One thing people can do, and, and I tell people to do this, and, and real estate agents need to do this as well, if you own a home, let's just say you're on the water can and you have a house and you've had flood insurance and you go to sell your house. 
you can sell that existing flood policy with the house and they can keep that low rate. So that is something that people should look at when they're buying a house, if they can get that old rate. Yeah, that'd be a real benefit for somebody uh, selling a home to be able to sell it along with the home. And of course, somebody uh, incentive to buy. Exactly. That's the yeah. whole yeah. You know, the, of it. The, the thing that's so interesting is, is that we always think about uh, a natural disaster like a hurricane being the catalyst to create all this strife that we're talking about. But uh, I mean, we get tornadoes, we get uh, regular storms and rising water is still a, a concern. And that would be uh, a, a flood insurance kind of risk, wouldn't you say? Yeah, that, people get confused on this. Um, so here's a couple of things to think about. If the water outside comes into your house, that's a flood. Mm -hmm. If a pipe breaks in your house or, you know, you have a leak through the roof, that's considered water damage. And that would come normally come under your homeowner's policy. And by the way, water damage is probably the number one claim for homeowners. Flood is probably the number one disaster worldwide. Mm-hmm. And it's getting more and more prevalent. And people don't think about it. They'll say, oh, I got this pond in my backyard and, you know, it's six feet below my yard and I'm not worried about it. But you have to think about when you have a hurricane, things change where you might have pom-pom leaves get into the sewer system, clog the sewer system. The water doesn't run the way it's supposed to. Secondly, those ponds absorb a water in an area. They may take up, they may be absorbing the water for your community. So those ponds can rise pretty quick. It's not how much rain you get. It's how much, you know, flows into that pond. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that's something to think about. And the other thing is, if you really look at it, the new homes are typically much higher than the old prior homes. And you can definitely see the difference. Yeah, I see that a lot. But it does take me back also to those that have older homes and you know, in today's world, older homes could be 20 years or older or, or older than that, of course. But in those cases, maybe not so much a failed roof, but like you were talking, it's important to keep up to date with the fixtures inside the home and uh, and other issues like that. Maybe you could speak to that a bit. So if I had an older home, a couple of things I would do. Maintenance wise, it's important to every homeowner is that you maintain the caulk around the windows and the areas that aren't 100% sealed, and you keep the house well-painted. I mean, that keeps the water out. If you have a crack in your paint or your stucco, that water can get in. Or if you have a little crack around the window where it just needs caulk, that rain can come in, especially when the rain's going 90 miles an hour horizontal. It, and it, for hours, that could be a problem. So that's an easy fix. The things that you can do, and, you know, when we – go to insure a home, we look at two different documents typically, especially if it's older. We're going to look at a four-point inspection, which is the electrical system. It's the HVA system. It's the roof and the plumbing. Mm -hmm. So the two biggest ones, they say the electrical system, of course, they want it to be on circuit breakers. And some of these older panels might have to be changed up. But for the most part, they're pretty much done. The two biggest are the roof and the wa the water lines they want to make sure that those water lines aren't corroded and they've been maintained so that's 
want, you know, that's just a qualifying event. You know, we need this house to be in good shape before we insure it. The second document we want is a wind mitigation. And there's about five or six different credits. So you don't fail or pass. It is, these are discounts. So the first one is, hey, was that roof put on after 2001, which was the most current code? And then you get a credit called a Florida building code roof that could take some premium off. The second one is they want to know how was that roof deck attached to the trusses? And if you used eight penny nails instead of six penny nails, you get a discount, which is code now. They want to know, does the house have hurricane straps? Is there, you know, something to hold those trusses down if the wind tries to lift it? The next one is, do you have a secondary water barrier? Some people refer to it as peel and stick, but it's just designed that the shingles blow off, that the water's not going to come in through the cracks and apply where the water's going to run off and you're not going to have that water intrusion. And the last one, which is probably the most complex and the biggest biggest challenge for us is, do you have opening protection? And take away the word, don't use the word shutters, open protection. So do you have impact glass? Do you have approved shutters? Do you have an approved front door? Do you have an approved garage door? When I say approved, it means there's an engineering sticker or you have documentation that it, it complies with the wind load and objects hitting it. You know, it depends on most of them are nine pound objects. You'll launch a two by four. That two by four sustains that damage, then you qualify. And so you may have 80% of the house covered or one side. That's not going to work. It has to be all doors and openings. Now, what I recommend people do, especially with the premiums going up, is they go over that with their agent multiple times. Many, many times we'll see where the inspector won't give them the opening protection credit, but they're one item away. Maybe one door is not covered. And they could go out and just cover that door and save $1,000 a year. So we really recommend when you do that, you go over each line item with your agent to make sure you're getting you can get that discount because a lot of times you're making that credit up the first year and every year forward, you're saving. Yeah, that's good advice. Uh, so we've talked about credits. We've talked about some wind mitigation. So maybe you can speak a little bit about coverage limits and deductibles and how do they factor into pricing? So of course there's, it's a pro and con. The higher you go, the more it's going to cost you because you're buying more insurance. They have to buy more reinsurance. One of the things I would recommend you do is you go over what they call a replacement cost estimator with your agent. And that is, a, it's a little software program and it, you plug in the features of your house and the square footage, the zip code, and it'll give you an idea of the cost to replace that house. Now you're gonna think, most times you're gonna think that number is pretty high, but keep in mind, they're, when they get those numbers, they're pulling off multiple, multiple claims and estimates. So they, those numbers are pretty accurate. But you want to go over each line. There's five line items, typically. You have the house. You have property in the yard called other structures. Could be a fence, shed, mailbox, lamppost. You have some coverage for that. You want to adjust that. Maybe if it's too high, your personal property, you want to look at that value to make sure you're not buying too much. You have the right amount. And then the fourth coverage is loss of use is money to live somewhere else. 
And that's always going to be a little more than you think. So don't short it. But the big one you can look at in, is the personal properties. So what happens is when you buy a homeowner's policy, typically it's going to give you replacement costs. It's going to say, hey, if your roof blows off, we're going to buy you a brand new roof. If your house gets water damaged, we're going to replace the floor with no depreciation. We'll take away the deductible, but we're not going to depreciate the materials as long as you replace them. If you don't replace them, we're going to depreciate them, but most people replace them all. But on the personal property, if you just took a policy out of the packet and said, here's a generic policy, that generic policy is going to depreciate the belongings inside the house. Now, you have to decide if you want to buy replacement costs or you want it to depreciate it. You know, we call it Macy's versus Goodwill. One of the things, you know, I've thought about over time and, and I'm, I'm not really opposed to it. I think it's something to consider. If you're older and you have a lot of belongings and a lot of it is just stuff that, you know, you've had, you don't want to throw it away. If you had to go out and buy it again, you probably wouldn't buy it again. You might want to rec I might recommend that you don't buy the replacement cost. You buy the depreciated value because when you make a list of all those items and you put it down, you're probably going to get enough money to replace the necessities you need for your lifetime. You're not going to need all this stuff anymore. And so that would actually save you 10 to 15% of your premium, which, you know, could be significant. Hey, sorry for the interruption. I know you are listening to the Roadmap to Retirement podcast, and I'm so happy you're here. If you have any questions, please head over to www.pinnaclefinancialwealthmgmt.com or the show notes to find out how to reach us. We would love to hear from you. Yeah, that's a good tip. Uh, I hadn't thought of that. So uh, there's ways to maybe have that conversation with a professional like yourself or their agent and talk about these kinds of strategies. I mean, how open are the typical companies out there to be able to figure out ways to dial down these costs? I, I think it's really, a, I think you need to have that conversation. You know, one of the things I've been doing that I, I think has been very um, fruitful is I'll share my screen with the customer and I'll go through the, the quote line by line and we'll talk about all this stuff. And then, you know, the customer can really, it's his choice to assume the risk he wants or to, you know, really sell it or transfer it to the insurance company. And, you know, a lot of times it's just a balancing act. Sometimes you have to, you know, we'd like to have insurance for everything, but we, you know, we can't, that, that's almost impossible. We have to look at what's probable and likely and assume some risk. So I think it's a big conversation and you need to discuss it and see ways you can take it. Most carriers that are open are willing to, you know, they have some parameters that you can work with to get, get it down some. Okay. And that's the whole idea of coverage limits and uh, how to have that conversation and so on. How about uh, deductibles for a strategy to lower costs? I mean, some folks have gone all the way to self-insuring as an example. So uh, deductibles, are there some uh, choice and some strategy there? Some companies will have choices. I mean, you know, when I started, I think it was $250 deductible was standard. Then it went to 500. Then it went to a thousand. Now it's not uncommon, pretty common to have a 2,500. Now the one that gets people a little confused and I'll explain that hopefully this will make more sense is the hurricane deductible. 
Yeah. You know, when we say a thousand dollar deductible, twenty five hundred, they call that the all peril deductible. That's a deductible if you have a fire, you have lightning, you have hail, smoke, explosion, something like that. The hurricane deductible isn't was put in place years ago and they said, Hey, you moved to Florida, you knew there was some inherent risk to a hurricane. So therefore we want you to share in that deductible. So we're gonna make it two percent of the house value. So if you had a $300,000 house, the 2% would be $6,000. The other thing to keep in mind after 04 and 05, when there was multiple storms, the state changed that to it's a once a year deductible. So it's not every, you know, every hurricane, but you know, that, that can be significant. So one of the things that I tell people, you know, they'll say sometimes they'll want to harden their house, but they're not getting a discount for it. But keep in mind, that still prevents you. If you can do something to prevent a loss, that prevents you a lot of work, a lot of hurry, a lot of grief, and a lot of money. You know, that deductible is not cheap anymore. So anything you can do to prevent that loss is beneficial. So if changing out the supply lines, you know, supply lines are the line between the wall and the toilet or the wall and the sink. If you change those out every 10 years and you could prevent a water loss, and it costs you $100 or $200 to have a plumber come out and do that, it's going to save you a lot of headache and a lot of heartache. And it's just, it's like changing your oil. You know, you prevent that big loss. You got some of these little maintenance things are big. Same with the roof. So I would would even tell some people, you know, hey, you might want to exclude wind. If you have hurricane shutters, you don't really live in a high risk area. You might say, hey, let me, I can't afford to win, but make sure your house is hardened. Have some, make sure it's, you know, not going to be frail and damaged. Well, yeah, yeah. And I suppose that's in the event that you don't have a mortgage. If you have a mortgage, then the mortgage company is going to dictate what kinds of uh, coverages you need to have. Would you agree? Yes. Yeah, that's correct. They're going to want you to have homeowners insurance with sure. wind. Yeah, yeah. And they control some of these discounting factors that we're talking about, I would su- suspect as well. Um, no, they're not, they don't control the discount. They just want proof of insurance. And, you know, they want to know that if that house gets destroyed, that they have collateral. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Terrific. Now, you know, uh, of course here in Florida and, and many States along the, the coast are required to have hurricane insurance. And are there any other requirements we have maybe that other States don't typically have that are burdensome and costly to our homeowners? There's only one coverage I can really say that we have that most states don't. And this actually occurred after, this was a cause of Andrew. It's called law and ordinance. And I'll give you an example. And it's a little more challenging concept, but I'll hope I can do it well. So let's say you had, we had that big hailstorm in 19. And let's say you had typical roof with, you know, two sides to it, right? And half the roof is completely destroyed. You know, it's all got all the dents, but, you know, as the storm comes in, it comes in at an angle and it damages one side and it doesn't really damage, really doesn't damage the second side. Insurance company adjuster comes out. He says, hey, by the way, let me pay you for that side of the house that's damaged. You know, we clearly see the hail damage. The other side's fine. Well, the person goes, hires a roofer. The roofer says you can't replace just half of it you need to replace the entire roof due to the code, the building ordinance. 
So what happens when you when you're mandated to buy this law and ordinance coverage, which now says we will pay for that undamaged portion to replace it, to remove it, and any upgrades that are now required by code. And that is 25% of the house value. Again, if you had a $300,000 house, you would have $75,000 of coverage for that type of scenario. Well, that's that interesting. Yeah, did you follow? Did that make sense to you? It, it did. If I heard you correctly, then if you only had damage to one side of the roof, uh, then in other states, they could just replace that side. Yep. And that would be okay. But here in Florida, up to 25% of the overall value of the home would include enough to cover the undamaged side. So they match, if you will. Correct. And and that happened because our our building codes are probably the strongest in the country. And we've had many changes to them. So take, I had a guy, one guy in particular, he was in the Keys and he had an older home and his house sat on a slab. His neighbors had newer homes and they were up on pilings. And we looked at it and we said, you know, if this house gets destroyed, you can't rebuild it the way it is. You're going to have to tear it down and you're going to have to put it up on pilings. Yeah. So we actually went out and even bought more law ordinance. We bought 50% law ordinance, all we could buy, because we knew that could be a potential big problem. Yeah. So that's a unique strategy that you're able to help someone with. Yes. That's, yeah. It's not very common in other states. It's because we're a unique state. We have disasters um, more so than anywhere else. But it is a nice thing to have in there. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And. I think most of us are thankful that we have those kinds of strict ordinances too, because we do have a lot of natural disasters that blow through here and that affects everyone. Of course, let's get back to that common person today, you know, a Florida resident who's struggling to find a, a, a policy, affordable, a comprehensive policy. They've just gotten dropped from the insurance company. What do they do? What's their first steps? What strategy would they use? So my recommendation First thing I would do is I would you could either ask your neighbor for referrals or I would recommend you call an independent insurance agent due to the fact that independent represents several carriers, not just one. You go to a state farm. He's got state farm and citizens. You go to all state. He might have several, but in, most independents have more a bigger selection of carriers. So there might be somebody that fits your parameters more so. The second thing I have to tell you this, and this is this is a little crazy, and this is an issue. Mm -hmm. today, today, if you had fifty thousand dollar house, a basic home, and the least expensive insurance, and it, and it is well known as citizens, the state program is probably thirty percent below market price. Mm. And the reason it is is because some law, back laws back in when Charlie Christ was around. And at one point, they knew they were underpriced. And Citizens was really a shell of what it is today. It was very, it was very small. Today, it's growing exponentially because of the rates and lack of availability. Right. So what, so what Charlie Christ said, or what they said is, they knew they needed to get the rates up to match the rest of the marketplace. They were underfunded. So what they did was they said, okay, we're going to put a cap though. We need to raise them, but we're going to put a cap at 10% because we don't really want to hurt anybody. 
Well, after the last couple of years, with some of the private carriers were getting 25% a year, citizens by law could only take 10. When you take 10% twice or you take 25% twice, you could see how that gap just is becomes very almost insurmountable. Today, they've changed it to 14%, but still citizens is much less than everyone else. Mm-hmm. Now, again, there's some there's some downsides to it. The number one probably is, you know, one is you can't get screen coverage. You can only buy limited amount of liability coverage. You can only get so much water damage where, you know, in the private market, you could get better coverages. But the, the big issue is if you bought a insurance from a private carrier, they're out buying reinsurance. They're out saying, hey, we know we need we need to we need to give away some of our risk to somebody else. We need to share this risk with you know these worldwide insurers. So they'll sell off their reinsurance. And the reinsurance is expensive. It could be thirty five to forty five percent of the premium. And it just pays catastrophic losses. Where citizens doesn't buy it. They, you know, they're almost like the shoebox. I have I take the money in, I put it in the box and I pay my claims out. The problem is if they get whacked and they have I want to say a million, some pol- like 1.3 million policyholders now. Wow. And, and then, so they have about 10% of the market, I think, right today. Okay. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the hurricane that came across Cape Coral, Fort Myers last year, yeah, I want to say it was a $190 billion event and 170 in Florida. So if you took that 10%, right, of 170 billion, that's 17 billion. I don't think they have 17 billion. I'm pretty sure they don't. But they can assess the policyholder up to five, 45%. So they can come back to you when you renew it the next year and say, by the way, here's your premium and you owe us for last year for this assessment. Oh, okay. And they've they've taken a lot of steps to make you understand that that you know there's a big there's a whole paragraph and you sign off when you mm-hmm. sign an application letting you know that. But again, you know, I don't, you don't, no one's ever paid it. So yet, so it might go unconcerned yet, but their rates are pretty inexpensive at this point in time. Yeah, that's amazing. So are they the only insurer that has that ability to come back and recoup a a loss like that? Uh, Yeah, they are. The other thing, it's interesting, I I see it, and there's a change in the model in Florida where a lot of these domestics were privately owned. You know, there was a couple that were public companies, but a lot of them were, for the, were privately owned. Mm-hmm. What you're seeing today are you seeing some of these reciprocals. An example, of, the biggest one I could give you an example of is USAA, where the policyholder actually the policyholders actually own the company, mm-hmm. and the and the company is a third party that is has power of attorney for the policyholders. There's been two or three formed in the last couple of years where they're saying, Hey, we're going to, we'll, we'll put the money up as a loan and we're going to start this company, but the policyholders own the company. And part of it is they, they want, they, if, it, if it does well, the, you know, the, the consumer can be rewarded with a dividend, but also they feel that the, since the customer is the owner, he's less likely to try to take advantage of the company. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, hopefully we'll see how it works. I mean, it's yeah. always. 
So in the event of citizens, just to make sure that I understand, essentially, who is the backstop for citizens if they have claims that far exceed their shoebox money, so to speak, to use your example, uh, are the taxpayers of Florida the backstop? You got it. You got it. I thought that would be the answer. All right. Well, let's transition. Let's wrap up here with uh, what do you predict is going to be the future of homeowners insurance? Not only here in Florida, of course, but I mean, in general, it seems like there's such a, I mean, natural disasters are happening all over the country right now. We're focused on Florida because we live here and but they've got fires, there's floods, tornadoes, always through the Midwest. And then, of course, hurricanes and such. What, what's going on with homeowners insurance across the nation and in general? Uh, seems like it's headed up, 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 up. Yes, it is. Well, you got you to gotta think of the underlying cost factors, right? Values of homes. Home values are way up. Repair, labor's up. Um, disasters are up. So it's going to go up. I mean, you have to probably think out of the box a little bit and say, it's only a couple, it's only a couple ways we can fix this. I mean, one is, do we uh, harden our houses, make them less susceptible to damage to prevent this? Or, you know, are we going to find a way to prevent it? I mean, it's like a car, you know, your car gets to a certain age and it keeps breaking down. You say, hey, I can't keep paying this cost every, you know, every time. You know, if the insurance, if you buy a warranty plan, I mean, you'd be fine. You don't care. But eventually the warranty price is going to go up if your car keeps breaking all the time. I do think if you made some meaningful law changes, that that would help dramatically. Typically, though, you know, since I've been doing this since 84. In 84, I saw auto insurance crisis, and that got resolved. I mean, that lasted four or five years. In the late 80s, you saw a general liability insurance crisis that went away. 0405 events caused a crisis in six and seven. I think eventually it will, it will work its way through, but it's going to be painful until that happens. And I think there may be some, in Florida in particular, there may be some law changes that do different construction. Um, the rest of the country's tough. I mean, you know, California fires, the Tornadoes aren't a big a problem because they're they're more intense and they they devastate, but they're you know they're smaller in scope. They don't hit a hurricane. You know hurricanes are huge. They just decimate large swatches of area. Yeah. Auto insurance is not much, not too much, too far behind homeowners when you look at the price of cars, repairs, distracted driving. You know, we just have to be somehow we have to, we have to pay attention to it and not it's just not an endless pile of money. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, Frank, thank you so much. I mean, what a wealth of knowledge, uh, what breadth of information for our uh, for our listeners. So how can residents contact you and get in touch with you and tap into your expertise in this area of homeowners insurance? They can call us. I'm at three, two, one. 255-0986. They can email me at fhanrahan, H-A-N-R-A-H-A-N, at risk 
riskandstrategies.com. And it's a hyphen between the risk and strategies. And we also had some videos years ago about some homeowner stuff. But we would happy, you know, be happy to help anybody, give them, you know, advice, whatever they need. Um, and we appreciate you, you know, putting, having us on your show and letting us, you know, try to help your customers as well. Yeah, absolutely. It was great having you on the show. Wealth of information regarding homeowners insurance, big deal here in Florida and across the nation. So thanks for being here. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Yeah, so give us a call here at Pinnacle Financial Wealth Management, 321-454-3623. And Jenny Giroux will be happy to set up a time. We can chat about uh, anything regarding homeowners insurance, risk management, the financial world in general. Thank you for listening to the Roadmap to Retirement podcast. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. Visit our website at www.pinnaclefinancialwealthmgmt.com or give us a call at 321-454-3623. Securities offered through Center Street Securities, Inc., CSS, a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through Center Street Securities Advisors, CSA, a SEC-registered investment advisor. Pinnacle Financial Wealth Management, CSS, and CSA are independent entities. Discussions are meant to be general in nature and may not be suitable for all investors. Please consult a tax professional regarding any tax implications.